so uh, last Sunday's sermon, do you know I had more questions about my sermon last week than I have had, I think, for any sermon I've ever preached. And the question I've been continually asked throughout the week is, did you take your wife for lunch like you promised? <laughs> I did not take my wife for lunch, as I said, on the Sunday. However, we did go on Wednesday or Friday or someday. That. <laughs> So I did do it. So you can check and see I'm telling the truth. I did take out for lunch, and there you go. Now, let's then move on from that and consider what God has to say for us today. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. You know, honestly, if you think about it, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's kind of a frightening command, isn't it? I mean, it's a little bit scary to think that we could grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. You know, that's don't make God sad. Don't fill God's heart with sorrow. Don't inflict deep emotional pain on the creator and the sustainer of the universe. Or here's one for some of you women will relate to. Don't take the pain of childbirth and apply it to God's heart. Because this word for grieve, it's used for, for women in, in childbirth. Don't do that to God. It's kind of, I mean, we just don't want to do that to the Lord of the universe, do we? We just don't want to do that to the God who loves us and created us and saves us and sustains us and is always with us. And there's this song that we sing, blessed to your name too. Don't grieve the Spirit. You know, I think that we don't think about this very often. I think there's a couple of reasons. One is, it's a little bit scary to think about grieving the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's kind of easy not to think about it because if you don't think about it, then we don't have to be worried that we've actually done it and have to live out the consequences of that. And it's it's kind of scary. So we'll just kind of put this over in the corner of our mind here and not think too much about grieving the Holy Spirit. But I think even more prevalent than not thinking about that is the reason this. It's hard for us to believe that we can inflict that kind of pain on the heart of God. It's so easy for us to think about about the king of the universe being way up there and over there. I mean, he's God. He's God. How could little me, how could little insignificant Alan Jones, this speck in the universe, how can I possibly cause agony in the heart of God? How can I possibly? I mean, there's there's just no way. And yet what we're going to see today is that it is absolutely possible for us to inflict that kind of pain on the God who died for us. You see, God's love for us is so deep and it is so personal and it is so intense that when we have our lives go awry, it devastates God. It crushes his heart. And so, and so he says, look, listen, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. By the way, you notice a couple of things here. And the first is that the Holy Spirit is a person. You know, some of the images that's found in the Bible about the Holy Spirit, you know, he's like, he's like the wind or he's like a consuming fire. Sometimes when we, we get that imagery in our mind, we forget that the Holy Spirit is a he and not an it. You see, you can't grieve a force, can you? You can't make a, a force sad. You can't make a force agonize. The Holy Spirit is a person, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons in 
one God. The Holy Spirit is one. And you see, we are the children of God. And if you've been blessed with your children, then you know that children can be our greatest source of joy or they can absolutely crush our hearts and cause more sleepless nights than going bankrupt. And so it is with God. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can grieve. We can inflict pain on the heart of God. It's possible for us to do. We're going to see in this passage, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 5-2. We're told, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And it's kind of a scary passage, but here's the good news. The good news is, is that God is very clear as to the things that grieve the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's easy. We don't have to question and doubt, hey, am I going to grieve the Spirit when I do this? Because he's going to lay out for us exactly this is the kind of thing that causes the pain of God's heart. And conversely, these are the kind of ways and this is the way in which you live to bring great joy to God's heart. And so I kind of boiled it down to this. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. How? Build and maintain Good relationships. If you want to bring joy to the heart of God, then build and maintain good relationships with each other. If you want to grieve the Spirit, if you want to inflict pain on God, then bring disunity, bring nastiness into our relationships. You see, when our relationships are bad, God's heart is broken. And when God's family gets along, when God's family loves each other, when God's family exists together in grace and compassion and mercy and goodness and kindness, then the heart of God soars. Now listen, he's going to give us some clues about how to build and maintain good relationships. So even if you're here today or watching online and you don't even believe in God and it doesn't really matter and this Holy Spirit thing is just kind of a mystery to you, even so, this passage is going to be great for you because it's all about how to build and maintain Good relationships, which not only brings joy to God's heart, but is great for our lives too. All right, let's read it. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work and do something useful or do something good, is the word, with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may be a benefit, it may be a grace, that it may be a benefit to those who listen. And here it is. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed, with whom you were, had a, a, a sign of ownership placed on your life. A promise of eternity placed on your life. Don't, don't grieve the one that did that. You're sealed until the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk the way of love, just as Christ loved us 
and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now listen, to, to really get at the heart of what's going on in this passage, what God has got for us to tell us to say, we've got to remember the, 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 the critically important context. And to be honest, when I first started studying this, I was about halfway through the study before I was, I was reminded of the importance of context, which is kind of crazy. I mean, we know, right? You never take just a little chunk of the Bible by itself. You've got to put it in its context. But if Gordon Fee actually reminded me of this. You remember Gordon Fee? I told you he's my hero when it comes to things of the Holy Spirit. And, and, uh, and his, the best book that, he, that I've ever read on the Holy Spirit is called God's Empowering Presence. Anyway, as I was reading that on this whole thing about grieving the Spirit, this is what Fee had to say. It does not take much imagination to recognize that all of this, what we've just read, that all of this is directed specifically towards the concerns of verses 1 through 16, that they may, quote, maintain the unity of the Spirit. Because they are the one body of Christ by the one Spirit. The sins described here destroy relationships within the community of faith. Life in Christ means to live the life of God in the context of one another. Well, it, it does take some imagination because I completely missed it. But what he's saying is, listen, you can't take these verses about we've just read about these specifics and forget about why he's got these in here. Because if you remember, it started in chapter 4, verse 1. It said, listen, I need you to live a life that's worthy of the calling that you've received. And then he goes on and he says, and the first thing you need to understand about living a life worthy of God's call on your life is that you live in unity as the church. And he gives that whole theological thing, you know, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and so on. He says, so, so the first context is, what I'm talking about here is maintaining the unity, the togetherness, the good relationships of people within the church. And then the second context is what we looked at last week, where we said, look, forget about keeping the rules of Christianity, and instead be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, give up the old way of living, which, which reflected the idols of our life of power and wealth and sexuality and sensuality. And, and instead, live like the new creation that you are. A God who bears, a people rather who bear the image of the God whom you worship. So the context generally then is that, listen, as people, we're being reshaped by the Holy Spirit and we bear the image of God. And that means that we need to live in unity. It's really quite interesting, because if you look at verse 24, right before that, it talks about in verse 24, this whole thing about how we, we actually, we need to be created to be like God in righteousness. And in chapter 5, it says, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. In other words, it's sandwiched and saying, look, what I'm talking about here is I'm going to describe to you what God looks like. I'm going to describe to you how it is that you, in your personal life and in your relationships, are going to reflect who God is so that people can know the God that we worship because they look at who you are. And then he gets into the specifics of building and maintaining good relationships. Now, it's interesting. As we go through here, you probably notice this. It follows the same path in each one of those keys to good relationships. Don't do this, but instead do this. And here's why. Did you notice that? Quit doing this or don't do that. Instead, as a follower of Jesus, live this way, relate this way, and here's why you need to do that. All right? So let's just, let's just kind, of, kind of go through this here and look at some of these relational keys. The first one is don't lie, but be truthful. 
You know, there are a few things that can destroy a relationship like telling a lie, aren't there? And yet somehow it's so easy for us to kind of fudge the truth. I mean, I suppose a lot of us, you know, we would never just out and out lie. But maybe we'll fudge it a little bit. Maybe we won't say the whole thing. Maybe we'll just kind of make it sound a little different than what it really is because, you know, it just seems easier. We can just kind of slide by here. If I can just sort of fudge the truth a little bit, mumble a little bit, kind of scratch my chin a little bit, then, then things are going to be easy. But the problem is, it never is, is it? Because eight times out of ten, the lie gets found out sooner or later. And what does that do to our relationship? What it does to our relationship is if somebody lies to us, then we think, I can't trust that person. If they're lying to me about this, what else are they lying to me about? What have they lied to me about in the past and and how can I trust uh, going forward how we're going to do? And not only that, but why is it that you don't respect me enough to think that I can handle the truth? Why why do you think I'm that weak? Or why do you think our relationship is that fragile? or, Or you don't think I can handle the truth? You don't think that I can handle working through a disagreement or or something where you've messed up or you think I've messed up? You think I can't handle that? Don't you respect me? I thought we were in a relationship. I thought we respected each other. And so we just know that when you don't tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help us God, it fractures relationship. And in this age, in society of fake news, we are living out the consequences of living with the sense that we can't trust what people tell us. And what happens is when we can't trust what people tell us, then we begin to cut out other sources and other people and our world begins to shrink and less and less and less and less and less and then pretty soon the only people that we can believe is ourselves. And it's destructive to the church and society in general. So he says, listen, if you, don't wanna, if you don't wanna cause pain in the heart of God, then don't lie. Be truthful. The church is a place where we speak and deal truthfully with each other, even when it's hard because we respect each other enough to say, hey, if what I'm about to say, if it's, if it's tough, we can work this out. I trust you, you're mature enough. We love each other enough. We can get through this. Even though I've messed up, I gotta confess this to you. A second thing, second relational key says, listen, in your anger, don't sin. Instead, deal with the issues and keep short accounts. One commentator I read said this, anger is sometimes justified and appropriate, but it's always dangerous. You see what he's saying? You're gonna get angry. Bad things are going to happen. Your your heart, you're going to become afraid. You're going to become hurt. You're going to see some injustice. Whatever, anger is going to happen. If you are in relationship with people, if you care about other people, if you care about yourself, if you care about the world, anger is going to come up. But the thing is this. It's a dangerous thing. It might be right and it might be good, but how we, it it can go wrong so quickly and bad outcomes can happen and instead what God says listen I'm going to put anger in you God gets angry the anger is going to be it's going to come up but the key is if you want to have relational health if you want to bring joy to the heart of God when you have that anger rise up you have to handle it in the right way so how do we handle it in the right way well first of all we don't let it fester You don't keep telling yourself a story over and over about how wrong you've been done to. 
And we don't go around and just, you know, sort of just trying to tell that story to other people, trying to gather, uh, you know, some support. You know, I mean, you can look it up. Google this. Look it up. The more often we tell a story to ourselves or to somebody else, the less accurate it becomes. It, it's sociologically proven. It's not, that we, it's not that we mean to do that. We don't mean to lie. It's I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell Sheen a story about how badly, I don't know, Dave treated me. You know that Dave, he went and he did this, and I'm going to hear, and Sheena's going to say, that's a terrible thing. And I'm going to notice in my heart the part of that story that, 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 that Sheena most relates to, you know. Oh, and I don't even realize this. And then I'm going to go to Andrew and say, Andrew, you know, you're an elder, and so I can tell you this and stuff. But you know how Dave screwed me over here? And I'm going to emphasize the part that had the most response from Sheena. And pretty soon, the only thing I'm saying without context is when I go to Karen, Charmer, the elders, and say, Karen, you know, this is how this guy did to me. I only tell that with no context. I don't mean to do it, but all of a sudden, it's, it didn't even look like, and so they, you know, Karen, you know, she comes to Dave and says, look, I'm turning with the elders, and this is what you did to Alan here. And Dave's like, what? <laughs> he didn't even recognize the conversation anymore. Because it doesn't look like the conversation anymore, because I've let it fester in my, Google it, I'm telling you, memories become less accurate the more often you tell them. And so what God said is, listen, don't let the sun go down on your anger. When you've got something going on, if Dave ticks me off, I go that same day before we quit work again and I say, hey, buddy, I don't like that. That hurt me. That made me afraid. That ticked me off. I don't think that was just. I feel bad. Whatever the deal is. And then the story gets dealt with. It doesn't fester in me. I deal with the junk that's dealt with. So don't let it go. You know, get, get it done with taking care of it. Don't let the devil have a foothold. And remember the context, the whole context is that of maintaining unity, not division. And what he's saying is that, listen, don't, don't go around trying to garner support from other people. Just find cheerleaders for how right you are. Now listen, I understand. There are times that we need to work through stuff with people, right? They're just, oh, that's why we have close friends. That's why we have spiritual leaders. And I understand this. But you know in your heart, and I know in my heart, when I'm just trying to get a cheerleader from my side or somebody that I'm going to go to and say, hey, Dave and I are having this trouble. <laughs> I'm ticked off. Can you tell me, am I, am I right here or is, is Dave? There's nothing going on, by the way, just so you know. Look at the size of the guy. <laughs> just, just so you know. And staff, honestly, we do keep short accounts and we don't have junk. Now I forgot what I was going to say. Oh yeah, so I can, I can tell, and you can tell, when we're just trying to find somebody to say, yeah, you're right. You know, uh, Scott and Heidi. Scott, I've told you this story before, but it is so brilliant. I think it's, when they were doing premarital counseling, the, the person doing the counseling said to them, listen, you're going to talk to your spouse about people. You just are. They're going to tick you off, and you're going to need you know, a girlfriend, you know, whatever, a guy, a guy at work, whatever. Here's the rule. If you're going to talk to somebody about your spouse, your boyfriend, your friend, your whatever, that person has to know your spouse and love your spouse. Isn't that brilliant? Isn't that brilliant? Because if Sheena is talking to Beth about Alan, we've, we've grazed our kiss together. We know each other. And Beth's going to say, I hope. <laughs> Beth's going to say, yeah, but you know, that was kind of that was wrong. He shouldn't have done that. But don't forget, blah 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 blah. Right? And don't forget, Sheen, that the way you said that, you've you've learned before that he didn't respond that way well. So it's not that it's not that we don't find people to help us work through our junk. That's going to happen. 
But make sure it's an honest looking for somebody who loves that other person, who understands that other person, and is going to call me out, I'm going to call you out, when we're actually the one who's at fault. So don't bring division. Don't let the enemy get a foothold into tearing down that relationship and those relationships anymore. Number three, don't steal, but do good things with your hands. Useful things, but the word is actually good, agathos, good. Do good things with your hands. Kind of a weird thing, isn't it, to say to Christians, because he's writing to the Christians here, right? Hey, guys, don't steal. Those that used to steal, don't steal any money. Instead, do good things with your hands. And so it's this whole thing about, about being absolutely honest and to, and to do whatever we do, to do it to bless other people, right? That's what it says, so that you can care for other people. I mean, we all know that when we are treated well, when, we, when somebody does good for us, what a, what a great feeling that is, right? Last week, I whined to you about my little plumbing problem. Remember that? Nobody asked me about my plumbing problem. They just asked if I was going to take Tina for lunch. Anyway, so, you know, I've got this thing. I'm freaking out about this thing because I'm useless at it, you know. And so tried to get the plumber that, you know, built the house, but he moved back to Newfoundland. It's too expensive to fly him over. <laughs> then I tried another company I outfit, but they only do industrial. So then I remembered, oh, Mark. Mark and Janae have got this plumber that they use. So I texted Mark, hey, Mark, who's this plumber that, you, that you've used? He said, oh, it's Steve at SLB Enterprises. I've referred him to scores of people. And every single person has come back and said he's just done an outstanding job and less money than, than anybody else. He's just a great guy. I'm very suspicious. And so I said, like, okay, is this guy a journeyman? Because my dad was a journeyman. So he knew just some guy that knows how to, you know, solder a couple of pipes or crimp pipes. Mark said, I don't know. I just know he does a good job, Alan. <laughs> so anyway, I text the dude. I rather I phoned him. And he said, oh, man, I'm really busy. I said, yeah, I know, but this is a feed problem. I have to cut my water. Oh, I hate to see a guy with that water. He said, I'll try and squeeze you in. But I'm, okay, I'll try and squeeze you in. Middle of the afternoon, he phones, hey, can I come over? Yeah, come on over. He comes on over. I said, you know, this leak is in the thing. I think it's in my sink or my dishwasher or whatever. He comes and he looks and says, you know, in his mind... Hmm, that's wrong. So he goes, what else you got? Water? Well, the dishwasher, not the dishwasher, the washing machine's over. He goes over, he locks, he says, oh, look at this, here's the problem. Anyway, he fixes it, he just has to tighten something up. I said, okay, how much do I owe you? He says, dude, I only had to tighten this. I took it apart to make sure it was working. I just had to tighten it, this thing would come loose. I'm not going to charge you just to tighten up something. I said, man, this is an hour you had to drive over here. It took 15 minutes. I made you look at this other thing that I'm worried about. It's got to be at least 100 bucks an hour. Surely you charge 100 bucks. No, he said, I'm not going to do that. You can just tell people. I told Sheena right away, you jump on whatever social media there is and you tell everybody, <laughs> SLB Enterprise, they're the guy to get. Because it just is so good, right? When somebody does good for you and treats you even better than honesty, how good is that? How ready are you to, to sing the praises of, of people? And so, and so when we do good, when, we don't, when, we, when there's not even a hint that we're trying to take an advantage of anybody or cut the angle or do whatever, when we, just, when we just are up front and we do good, man, we want to tell everybody, don't we? And that's what he's driving at. You want a good relationship. Man, don't do shady stuff. Don't do stuff that's even questionable. You go so far above and beyond that the preacher's got to tell his wife to get on social media and bring it up in a sermon because, man, this is good. It makes for good relationship. I'll give you his phone number if you want it later. <laughs> great guy, great guy. Neighbor of Herman's, right? That's how it all got started. Number four, don't say rotten things to or about people, but speak only words that are helpful to them. 
Don't say rotten things to or about people, but speak only words that are actually helpful to them, that actually build them up. You know, the NIV said unwholesome speech. It really, that word means putrid. It means something that is rotten, like rotten fruit or rotten fish. And he's saying, don't say to people or about people words that stink. I love, I just, I just love what Clinton Arnold, New Testament scholar, says about it. He says, listen, what God wants us to do is develop a gag reflex to unhelpful speech. I love that. I've been praying, Lord... You know, if, I, if, if I'm about to say something about somebody that I've got a problem with, some politician I don't like, somebody did something, as before these words come out, let instead of, wouldn't that be good? Is if, if we had built within us by the power of the Holy Spirit, if I'm going to say something that stinks, if I'm going to say something that's rotten, if I'm going to say something that doesn't help people, if I just, oh yeah, he's a great guy. And this is why he's great. I just love that. So he said, listen, if you want a good relationship, then, then don't say stinking things about people. If you want to grieve God's heart, if you want to shatter God's heart, then you say stinky things about people. You say rotten things. Instead, no, no, don't say that. Develop this gag reflex to any unhelpful speech. And instead, only speak those things that are good for building up. They may be words that are hard to say. He's not, he doesn't avoid conflict. I mean, God doesn't, I mean, sometimes people have said hard things to me because they love me and they've been some of the most helpful things that people have ever done. But I've known that they're telling me that because they love me. And so when it comes to me thinking about this, if I'm going to say something, I need to, I need to pause and I'm going to say to myself, how is what I'm about to say going to be helpful for that person? How is the way in which I'm about to say this going to build that person up? How is it going to make their life better? How is it going to improve our relationship? Doesn't mean that I'm going to say, not going to say stuff that's tough to say. We already talked about that. But how am I going to do it and why am I going to do it? So that if somebody asks me, why did you say that? I can say, here's why. And here's what my prayerful hope is and how it builds this little person up. Number five. We've got two more to go. Five or six. Number five. Replace malice with compassion. Replace malice with compassion. It's so easy to react negatively when people hurt us. Some of the scholars, you know, when they've got those, those verses there in verses 31 through 32, it says it's kind of like a building, a building thing which ends in malice. You know what malice is? Malice is when you wish ill on somebody. Malice is when something bad happens to somebody that's done something bad to you and we just kind of think, yeah, serves him right. That's malice. And God says, listen, when you've been hurt, do not hold malice against people. But instead, be compassionate and forgive. Try and, try and get into, into why, why on earth would this happen? What's going on in their life that they would do this to me? And then whether or not they have a, a reason, sometimes if we can figure out the reason, it, it makes it a bit easier to forgive. But then even if there is no reason, God says, forgive. Forgive. And don't seek vengeance. Don't let your heart become filled with malice. Yeah, serves them right. 
because it destroys you as well as them, as well as the relationship. And it cracks God's heart. Last one. In love, be willing to lay down your life and your rights for other people. Love one another enough to pay the price for their wrongdoing. That's what Jesus did, right? Supposed to love like Christ did. What did did Christ do? He said, I'm going to pay the price for your wrongdoing. And if we want good relationships with people, we have to sometimes come to the point where we say, you know what? I'm going to pay the price for the wrong you just did me. I'm not going to hold you to account. I'm not going to make you pay. I'm not going to decide. I'm I'm going to just bear that price and I'm going to release you from feeling like you have any kind of debt to me because of how you treat us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those debtors. In love, do like Christ and lay down our life for others. Now this stuff, this stuff is hard to do. And so that's why in each time, it, God gives us the motivation. And, and there's two or three motivations that you pick up on. The first motivation is that it's, it's care for other people. If we're going to be created in the image of God, we need to care for other people. And did you notice how with each of those, don't do this, don't do that, and here's why. And here's why, in the vast majority of those cases, had to do with the, what's best for the other person. So that's the first motivation, is that as, as people who bear the image of God, God does what is best for other people. Us, me, you. And so that's my first motivation. Second motivation is where we started off. Don't grieve the Spirit. Don't grieve the Spirit. Build and maintain good relationships because we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. Even if we don't want to do it for the sake of other people, we surely want to do it because we want God to have joy because of us and not sorrow. And when we bring divisions in the church, when we break the unity of the church by lying, by lashing out in anger, by taking advantage of other people, by seeking the ill for other people, by wishing or doing nastiness on others, that breaks the heart of God. And we don't want to break the heart of the God who loves us. We want to bring joy to the heart of the God who loves us. So we maintain and build these good relationships for the sake of bringing joy to the heart of God. Because number three, He wants us to remember that we are to bear the image of God. Remember that all of these ideas are sandwiched between verse 24 and chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, which is all about you are an image bearer of Christ. And when people encounter us as individuals and as a church in the context of relationship, they should be encountering God. They should be able to sense, oh, This is the God that they worship because they have been transformed into his image. The Holy Spirit has done that by changing and transforming us as we looked at last week. Man, our world is so broken. From the nastiness of social media to the theft of lands and reputations, it is, it is tough. And in the face of that, God Almighty says to each one of us and says to us as a church, we're to be an alternative people and an alternative society. We're to be a people and a church and a society and a community that builds and maintains good relationships 
We're to be a people of unity, a people of truth, a people that's quick to reconcile in the face of conflict, a people that speak words and have conversations, that have a gag reflex if we're going to say something nasty and unhelpful and instead are going to say something that is helpful to building others up. We want to be and are, by the power of the Spirit, a people of kindness and compassion and forgiveness. And we want to be so filled with the love of God that it drives us to serve and forgive others as Christ serves and loves us. So we've got a few days ahead of us. We're going to take one of these keys each day through the week and just meditate on it. The Holy Spirit how can I improve in this, in my relationships? Because I don't want to grieve the Spirit. I don't want to grieve you, God. I want to give you joy. So help me to build and maintain good relationships. Maybe one per day. Or maybe like me. You're just going to say every day, God, build in me a gag reflex if I'm going to say something that's wrong. Let's pray. Father, um, you, are, you are a great God and it's amazing to us. Man, there's, there's so much that's amazing to me in this passage. Uh, first of all, that you love us enough that we can break your heart. That you care deeply enough about us that we can wound you when we wound each other. This is amazing to me, Lord, that your care for us is so deep. And the, the truth is, Lord, if we, if we stop and think about it, we, we want to bring your heart joy, not sorrow. Celebration, not grief. And so secondly, I'm so thankful that you give us your Holy Spirit, that Holy Spirit, you come within us and you, you dwell amongst us. And you do this miraculous work of transformation so that we can be true image bearers of God and that our relationships can reflect the character of God. Certainly so that our relationships can be better, but most importantly, so that you can be given glory and honor and praise and we can reflect to this broken world and this broken church who you are. So Holy Spirit, come and speak to us. Mend us. Transform us. Make us image bearers of Christ. Joy givers to you, Holy Spirit. We pray through Christ. Amen. <laughs>